wasn't the orchestration and our orchestra's job and it as well phenomenal. I, I have to tell you when the team put that together and that was no easy feat. That took just a ton of work from our amazing team, an amazing orchestra, but but when I first watched that it made me emotional. I mean I you know that each of them and each person, each of you still absolutely committed to Northridge, you know Northridge, the church is not closed, just the buildings are, but but man, I miss getting together that way. And to see our orchestra, you know, giving their heart and soul and using their gifts to serve that way with such a meaningful song was, I don't know, it's just a great experience. And it just reminds me of what an unbelievable thing God has done in giving us this precious church. There are lots of great churches around the world, even in our community, but but God's just given me a special heart for Northridge and for all of you who are a part of it. And if you're a guest, you just would not believe the committed hearts of the people who make up this church. And I think it's important to know that it hasn't always been like this under my leadership. Um, the church has a storied past, but went through some difficulties. But you might not know that when... I first came to this church family, those of you who are newer or guests, when I first came, and I'm in my 30th year right now, in October, Roxanne and I will celebrate 30 years at Northridge, but the, the initial days, the early days and years of my ministry just didn't go very well. In fact, it's kind of an understatement. They were difficult days. The church was in a tough situation, though it had a great legacy. It, it had kind of stagnated. It had become rough. In fact, they had gone through, prior to my arrival, three decades of decline. And as time rolled on, the decline got worse and worse and worse, and the tensions and difficulties, it was in a dark place. In fact, the leaders who initially introduced me to the church and recognized God was calling me here and brought me in were talking about, man, if something doesn't happen, we're going to have to turn the lights out. I mean, it was a dark time. And I really believed God had called me here to, to turn this church around, to rebuild it, to, to have greater days in the future than we'd had in the past. I mean, I believed it with all of my soul uh, from the inside out. But but I have to tell you, I would, though I was doing everything in my power, I mean everything in my power to turn the church around, to fulfill what I believed was my call, to get this church working right, it wasn't going well. In fact, I, I, to be honest, and uh, I mean, I say this humbly, we, I was doing a lot of important things as the pastor and leader of this church when I first came in. I was making some very, very important changes that really did need to be made, but, but man, I was failing and flailing. I, it was bad, and I couldn't figure out why. I mean, why was I failing in spite of blood, sweat, and tears that I was investing in this place? Um, why was I failing? I didn't figure it out until one day. God used a long-term member of the church who, who came and asked me a question that was sweet and sincere from this member's view, but blew me up emotionally. He said, do you even care about us? 
And I, I wanted to react. Do I even care about you? I'm giving my life soul to this place. Do you know how hard I'm working and how, how difficult the changes I'm leading are? What do you mean, do I care about you? But over time, after introspecting a little bit and, and praying and God kind of boosting me along in my understanding, as hard as it was to hear that question, God used it to help me to understand my problem. You see, in my attempts to to lead his church, I, I was valuing and focused on the organizational needs of the church rather than the people. And there were a lot of organizational issues that needed to be changing. Of course, leaders have to understand the obstacles and the blocks that are happening in organizational bureaucracy that develops. And they needed to be focused on. But in the end, the church isn't an organization. The church is people. And my plan for rebuilding the church was focused on fixing all those organizational issues. It was focused on leading Northridge organization to be the church it needed to be, to reach the people it needed to reach. But, but I was focused on organization, not people. And when I finally figured this out and changed where I was placing my focus and my value on people, helping people know Jesus, helping the people in Northridge to reflect Jesus better so that the world could then experience him better, that's when God began doing an unbelievable work in this place. And that story of my life is not a one-time story. The truth is it's an every day and every week and every season story because it is so easy in, in sincerity and with all the right motivations and with all of the right reasons to, to focus on and value the wrong things. And the reality is that that's the difference between living for my plans and living for and knowing God's plans, which is what this series is all about. In fact, this weekend's conversation is based upon a truth that gets to the, to the core, to the heart of, of this issue. And the truth is simply this. The difference between our natural plans and God's plans is one of values in the end. It's a difference. My plans versus God's plans. My plans which feel right but lead to disappointment and loss. God's plans which often feel very wrong but always lead to gain and life and fullness as he promised. The difference is found in values. Jesus made this clear when he laid down the foundation in Matthew chapter 6, starting with verse 19. He said, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves can break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not, cannot break in and steal. And then Jesus anchors it by saying, for where your treasure is, where your values are, that's where your heart will be also. He's making it clear. Stop devoting your heart to, stop treasuring, stop focusing and valuing on those things which are temporary because they can be taken away. They, they don't really solve anything that you're looking for. Instead, let your heart treasure, let your focus and values be on that which is 
eternal. Not my plans, but God's plans. And I just think we really have to be honest as human beings. We, we have a real propensity to attach our hearts to the wrong things, to, to experience what I call an, an inversion of values where, where we take what should be the priority values and we invert them and put them underneath secondary values. And I do this. I was doing this as that young pastor focusing on earthly things, focusing on temporary things, focusing on secondary things. An organization is only meaningful if it helps us to accomplish in the church what God wants to accomplish. Leading people to be more like Jesus. Leading people to live in love instead of in selfishness. And and, and I was focused on the wrong things. I had inverted my values. And I, I was sincere in what I was doing. I, I was passionate about what I was doing. I was just wrong. And that question got me. Do you even love us and care about us? And I just want you to know that this is a challenge that I still fight today. And this is a challenge that as a human being, you, you fight today. This is why we often make so many wrong choices and we don't experience the promises that God has guaranteed us when we follow Jesus. It's because we, we allow our values to turn upside down instead of staying right side up. We live for the temporary, the earthly, instead of the eternal, the heavenly, and our heart's in the wrong place, whether we know it or not. I, I wanted to give you a negative example of this in the Bible and couldn't think of a better one than a guy named Demas. Demas. He, he had come to faith. In fact, he was devoted to God's kingdom, to God's church. He was mentored by the Apostle Paul. He did a lot of things right, but, but he forgot that he lived in the constant tension between the temporary and the eternal. He, he forgot to evaluate and continue to intentionally choose eternal values instead of temporal. He was a lot like me and the early days of my ministry, and as a result of it, without even knowing it, without even recognizing until it was too late, he inverted the values, and he was living with upside-down values, and it destroyed him. Paul describes it this way in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, Demas, because he loved this world, you see, did exactly what Jesus told him not to do. Don't put your heart in this world. Put your heart in heaven. Don't live for the temporary and value it, you know, value eternity. And because he loved this world, because he was living with upside down values, he has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. He transitioned the opposite way from God's plans to, to his own plans. And I just need you to wrestle with this concept. This is our daily fight. By nature, we're going to live for the now. We're going to live for what's comfortable. We're going to live for what's going to bring us pleasure in the moment. We're going to live for that which we want. But, but if we check it and we understand that God's plans are where our heart needs to be, we can experience more of what God wants us to experience, which leads me to the positive example of Paul, the Apostle Paul. He transitioned strongly from a man who was totally committed to and passionate and sincere about living for his plans, temporary things that were valuable to him. He transitioned from his plans to God's plans, and he became one of the greatest Christ followers that ever walked the planet. 
And I think he really describes it well in Philippians chapter 3, this part of the letter to the church at Philippi that we're looking at this weekend. Look at chapter 3, verse 4. Paul says, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. What he's saying, you think you have a lot to brag about humanly? You think you have a lot to be proud of, of as it relates to your human accomplishments? You, you think you can brag? Well, I can brag more. And then he goes through the list and he starts by saying, I am so unbelievably successful in my religion that even as a baby, I started it right. He said, I was circumcised on the eighth day. That was there kind of in that day to be circumcised as a baby to become a Jew was a lot like Christians who get baptized, you know, um, a lot of people baptize infants. It's really more of a once you follow Jesus kind of thing. But but man, circumcision was vital to being a great Jew. And he says, man, my life started right and it continued right. I'm a far more successful Jew than most of you. And he said, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm of the people of Israel. Yes, I'm from the people of God. And not just that, the tribe of Benjamin. Saul, the first king, was from Benjamin. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. And he said, I'm not just a Hebrew. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. And he says, in regard to the law, you know, the law we're supposed to live, the scriptures. I'm a Pharisee. I know them front and back and back and front. I teach them. I lead them. I live them. And then he goes on and says, hey, and I was so zealous, so passionate about living for God. I persecuted the church. I thought they were wrong in following Jesus. And so I threw them in jail and had some killed. And then he says, as for righteousness based on the law of God, I'm faultless. Try and find something wrong with me. But then he makes this big switch. But whatever were gains to me, all the things I am most proud of humanly, all of the things that I can brag about humanly, all of my great successes that I gave everything to achieve in my life, all of that which were gains to me, I now consider simple loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a simple loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. He said, I was so proud of my human accomplishments and now I've lost all of them and they don't matter because of one truth. Knowing Jesus is all I need. And then he makes a dramatic statement. He says, I consider them garbage. Everything I used to brag about, everything I used to live for, everything I used to find pride in, everything that I found meaning in, turns out it was just garbage so that I may gain Christ and be found in him. He's simply saying, I, I was laying all of my treasures up in the wrong thing. I was valuing all the wrong things. I was living my plans and all they are is empty. But when I found Jesus, I realized he's all I need. I just want to gain Christ. I want to know Christ. I want to be found in him. And then he says, not having the righteousness of my own, who cares how great I've lived, but I want to have the righteousness that's through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I, I don't I don't brag anymore in what I've accomplished outwardly. I brag now only in what Jesus did when he transformed me inside out because of his death, burial, and resurrection. And then he, he really states it. I want to know Jesus. That's all I want. 
And I want to know Jesus when it means knowing the power of his resurrection and man, I'm living in the summit of all of his promises. And I want to know Jesus if it means participating in his suffering, experiencing nothing but agony and darkness and defeat and rejection and betrayal and imprisonment, the loss of all of my privileges like him. I don't care what my circumstances, I just want to know Jesus. I want to become like him in every way, in his death and in his resurrection. I mean, this is a guy who went from living his plans to living God's plans. No wonder he was so great. And, and here's what I want you to see. Paul shows us that when we move from our plans and our values to God's plans and values, everything changes. And let me just put it in some simple sentences, and I think it'll help you really extract the truth out of Philippians 3 in a better way. He shows us that when we move from our plans and values to God's plans and values, it changes our view of success. Our view of success changes. He says, a lot of you are bragging about what you've done in human achievement. I can brag a lot more than that, but let me just tell you something. Now that I know Jesus, Everything I used to brag about belongs in the garbage bin. When we really live God's plans, our view of success changes. Has yours? When we move and transition from our plans and values to God's plans and value, our, our view of sacrifice changes. If you're at all like me, then very often you feel like a victim of the things you've had to give up. You know, the things you've given or you feel like you deserve a gold star from God or special favors from God because of all you've given up. And I've said it and thought it and I've heard others. It's like, man, I don't know why bad things are happening to me because I've done so much for God. I mean, I've read his word and I've tried to follow Jesus and I worship and I go to church and I've even given and I serve. And, and how, come, how come I'm experiencing this pandemic? How come I experience bad health. How come my finances aren't what they should be? How come I can lose a job? And we, we really focus on the sacrifices and feel like God isn't rewarding us. But, but that's when we're living for the temporary. When we live like Paul for God's plans and for the eternal, as Jesus taught us to, when our heart is attached to the right thing, it changes our view of sacrifice. He, he went from thinking he gave up everything for Jesus to realizing all he did was throw the garbage away so he could know Jesus. What's your view of sacrifice? Well, when we go from our plans and values to God's plans and values, our view of spirituality changes. I mean, very often when I talk to people about their spiritual life, they go, oh yeah, I do this, I do this, I do this, I've done this, I've done this, I've given this, and it, we lay it out, just like Paul did. I've done so much. I'm faultless in my religion. But then he realized, oh, that was nothing. I, he says, I don't want the righteousness that I can achieve because that's garbage. I only want what Jesus can do in me. That's the only way to truly live. When we really, really live God's plans, we hunger for Jesus himself instead of what Jesus can give us. And when I'm really honest, there are times in my life when, when I'm seeking Jesus for what he can give me instead of seeking Jesus for himself. There are times that I pray and I worship and I give because I'm wanting what Jesus can give me. But when I'm living God's plans, it's not about what he can give me. It's not about how he can make my life better. It's about 
knowing him, which is life at its best. When, when we move from our plans and values to God's plans and values, our view of situations change. And we're in a situation right now, this pandemic quarantine and the tensions are on the, on the rise and the, the conflicts between should we open up, shouldn't we open up, who's doing right, who isn't, what, what are our government leaders doing, do we agree, don't we? I mean, the tensions are unbelievable and, and I'm experiencing some of that and I've received some letters of people who are at high tension and don't love it that that we're, our buildings are still closed. Yes, the church is open, but they don't love it that the buildings are closed. I, and I get that. But, but you know, when, when we're living for our plans, when our hearts are on earthly experiences, those situations are everything. But, but when we're living for God's plans, when we're valuing eternity, our, our view of situations change. No matter what the situation, good or bad, whether I agree with it or don't, whether it's going well for me or not, whether it's in my view and philosophy or outside of my view and philosophy. If I'm living for Jesus, if that's all I care about, then I'll use every situation as a means to simply know him more. Is that your view of this situation? Here's the reality that I've had to face in myself and I want to encourage you to face. Our view reflects our values. Our view of success, our view of sacrifice, our view of spirituality, our view of situations, what we do with them reflects our values. So can I ask you, how's your view? I mean, what does it say about your values? I think the best way to weave this into our life is with an application. And, and the application is simply this. If we, if we want to live for God's plans, not just say it, like I did in the early days of my ministry, but if we really want to live for God's plans and in so doing experience God's best, if we want to make sure that we're living right side up instead of upside down, if we want to make sure that we're not living with inverted values, then we need to experience, consistently experience a change of view and an inversion of our values. We have to consistently be experiencing a change in view of what success is, what sacrifices are, what spirituality is, what our situations mean and are. And, and we need to have an inversion of values where we flip from upside down to right side up. And I think I've expressed it okay in words here. I, I think I'm honoring what Paul was writing in his letter to the church at Philippi. But what I want to do is I want to do a little illustration. I want you to join with me, okay? Because a lot of times when we interact, it goes from theoretical to more personal. And this will give you something to hold on beyond this talk to remember the idea of it, okay? Before the service began, uh, Pete Wilson, our strategic ministry lead and one of our teaching pastors, uh, was giving some announcements. And then he told you about a, an exercise that we wanted you to participate in. He, he said, why don't you think of the the one human achievement that you're most proud of, the one thing you're most proud of in your humanity and text it to us. And I really would love it if you would do that, if you haven't already, because I'm thinking on my Thursday Night Live, which is on Facebook and YouTube, I'm thinking about um, taking this talk, this weekend's conversation a little bit deeper and your text will help me to, you know, be real with that. But what I want to do is I want to take the exercise further. Right now, I, I want us to each 
And you can take out the pencil the, and the marker that Pete told you to get and the piece of paper like I've done right here. And we're going to, we're going to literally write down the five things that we are most humanly proud of. As you do it, I'm going to do it. And then we can compare. I mean, do we see life the same or similarly or not? Are our experiences the same or not? And so this is going to be mine. And, I, you know, be messy, do whatever you want. But I'm hoping that you'll keep this in the end and put it in a place where you remember. Maybe your morning mirror or maybe on your refrigerator. I'll try to remind you again. But this can be something that helps you to engage the difference between my plans and God's plans in the future. And we're going to do five things, so I'm going to number my paper, one, two, three, four, five. And I have to tell you how I'm going to approach it. I think you should as well. Talking about the things you're most proud of in your humanity, humanly speaking. And, and so each one of mine are going to start with the personal possessive pronoun, my. My. I mean, this is what I'm humanly proud of. And I'm going to start with my marriage. Because that's exactly what Roxanne told me I should start with. No, okay, it's not, it's not what Roxanne, she didn't even know I was doing this. But I, I'm being as honest as I can about what I'm humanly most proud of. Because if I could have looked forward when I was a young person, and think of the idea of being married to one person for 40 years and it getting better and better and better over time and not stagnate and boring. I, I couldn't have contemplated it, but, but my marriage is the single most valuable thing I believe that I have humanly. We're in this time of quarantine. A lot of people are talking about how hard it is to be trapped together all these times. And Roxanne and I don't find it hard to be trapped together. Well, Let's be honest. We've been married 40 years. She says 39 of the happiest years of her life. So there's a year missing. And I haven't been perfect in this thing. But we really do love being with each other. The second thing I'm most humanly proud of is my family. My family. My three kids who are now adults and married and parents of their own. And my grandkids. I mean, I find such pride in them. And to be honest, although the grandkids are always sources of pride, sometimes the kids, you know, they, they blow it. You know, you, know, you, you know it, Blake, Allison, Carissa, you know. And so when that happens, um, the good news for me is I can still be overwhelming, overwhelmed with pride for family because I've got Lincoln. And so when my kids blow it, I've got Lincoln. Always, always my best friend. So, but my family. The, the third one is my church. Northridge, I, I could only dream of being a part of a church like this when I was young. I've always read Acts chapter 2 and what the early church was like, how everyday lives were being changed and how they were changing their community and their culture and making a huge impact with thousands. I wanted so badly to be a part of a church like that. And I can't tell you how proud that I, I get to be a part of this church. Northridge isn't the only church. There are a lot of great churches around the world, a lot of great churches in our area. Different sizes, different scope, different impact, different DNA. It's awesome. And I'm, I'm glad for every church that names the name of Jesus. But I am so proud of Northridge Church, of each and every one of you, and how you make this place so impacting. I, my fourth one is my ministry. And you might see Northridge and my ministry being connected, and I... I I'm in my 30th year as the pastor of this church, but, but Northridge 
was before me and Northridge will be after me. It's, it's his church. He builds it. He prevails against the gates of hell. But I am so humanly proud of my ministry that, that it could have the impact that it's had and the duration. I, I'm kind of a guy who needs a new challenge all the time. And I, I can't even believe that I could be in one place these 30 years and still feel like I'm just at the surface beginning this mission. And, and I'm really, really proud of my ministry, humanly speaking. And my last one is my reputation. And that might sound weird. And don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm flawed and I make mistakes and I have failed. And there's a lot in me that I wish wasn't in me that still needs to be sculpted out in the form of Jesus. But if you had asked anyone who knew me when I was a young person, if I'd have a reputation that can endure in one place for 30 years and me not lose the influence but grow in influence and not lose the position but grow in the position, they would have laughed in your face. And so I am humanly really proud of the reputation that I've been able to have. But here's where the illustration gets really important. Because the reality is that as valuable as all these are, and they are extremely valuable to me and I'm proud of them, for life to work right, all of these things I'm most proud of need to be in the shadow of one name, Jesus. In order for my life to work right, Every single thing I'm most proud of needs to take a back seat to Jesus. In fact, for me, none of these would exist in a way that I'd be proud of or value without Jesus. If I had been following my plan and living my natural values as I displayed in the early days of my ministry here, as I've already talked about, I would have blown my marriage up long ago. I'd probably be on number 52 now. I mean... Without Jesus, there's no way. I'm married to Roxanne happily for 40 years. My family, I would have lost them. My church, I would not be a part of this church. My ministry, no impact, certainly no duration. And my reputation would have been absolutely a failure. Jesus has made it all for me. In fact, even today, it's not like this was a one-time decision. Even today... The minute I'm more proud of the things I'm doing, the minute I get more focused on the earthly things, which I can do any day, I'm in trouble. I start messing up. And what's true for me is also true for you. Without Jesus being the number one value, priority, source of pride in your life, every other value in your life will fall short. It goes back to what Jesus says. Your treasure is where your heart is. Where's your heart? It goes back to whether you're living for your plans or God's plans, being like Demas or being like Paul. It goes back to the fact that our view reflects our values and we need to make sure our view isn't on these things that we're proud of, but on Jesus who makes these things what they're possible to be. And, and so what I want to do is I want to end with the words of Paul from another book he wrote, a letter to the church at Colossae and I first want to speak to those of you who've yet to experience Jesus transforming you from the inside out. I'm so glad that each and every one of you, wherever you're at in your spiritual journey, uh, are, are experiencing this moment with us. But 
Can I just tell you, until you let Jesus inside, the best you're going to have is what you have on the outside, the temporary in it. It will leave you empty and disappointment and filled with loss. Paul was one of the most successful religious people in his day, and in the end he said, I was totally nothing until I found Jesus. That's why Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door of your life and I'm knocking, and all you have to do is open the door, and when I come in, I'll do life with you. And I just believe right now many of you are hearing that knock. You need to let Jesus in. And Colossians chapter 1, verse 27 says it. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Not the fact that Jesus is real, that's your hope of glory. Not religion, that's the hope of glory. Not you doing a bunch of things for Jesus, that's the hope of glory. Not, not coming to church or gathering this way, that's the hope of glory. It's Jesus in you. Is he? If not, I'm going to pray and I'm going to encourage you, whether out loud or in your heart, to take my words and make them yours. Would you just open your life to Jesus right now? And then I'll give you a final thought and we're going to worship. Just say, Jesus, I, I hear you knocking. And I don't want to keep you on the outside. I want you on the inside of my life. And so, by faith, I'm asking you to come into my life and change me. I believe you died on that cross so my sins could be forgiven. So I confess my sin and I'm asking you to forgive me. And I believe you rose again so I could have the power of a new life. And so by faith, I'm claiming that new life. Christ, live in me and be my hope of glory. In Jesus' name, amen. If you just prayed with me, you see how you can text us. That's so that we want to send you a New Testament Bible. We want to give you information about how to understand that Bible and next steps you can take in your relationship with God. So would you text us and, and let us know where you're at and that you prayed with me? And for all of us, just remember this. Making Jesus your focus today does not mean he'll be your focus tomorrow or every day. We have to consistently make the decision that we are going to live for the eternal and not the temporary or by nature the values will invert. We will be like Demas unless we put a check on it on a daily basis. That's what Paul told us in Colossians chapter 3. He's just repeating the words of Jesus that I read at the beginning. He says, since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. It's okay to be proud of your marriage, your family, your church, your ministry, your reputation. It's okay to be proud of the things you're proud of humanly. But it's not okay for those to be your primary focus and values. Jesus needs to be first. And when he is, you can experience what he came to give you. Life and life to the full. So in this worship song, we're trying to set your focus we're trying to cement in place this truth, which is life-changing. We need to, if we're going to experience God's best, we need to put and keep Jesus at the center.